last Sunday, I should say last Sunday evening specifically, I was, well, the whole, the whole day, but Sunday evening, the service was just such a blessing to me. The course program, the songs they sang, and in the intermission, Brother Sheldon brought a devotional that just so inspired me. And I was challenged with a question out of all of that, the songs and his devotional. The question is, do we really understand who God is? And the message today is, is nothing new. But I hope that it will inspire us to a deeper understanding of the God we serve. The title of the message comes from one of the songs that they sang. This is the title of that song, this is the title of the message. It's called Behold Our God. And in that song, it gives us a picture of God seated on his, seated on his throne and how we need to fall before him and adore him. But I want to look at the Old Testament today to help us get a picture of who we serve. Who is God? There's two things I'd like to address in the message. First is what we know about God before creation. And then also how God revealed himself in the Old Testament. So start like to start with who God was before creation. Now we don't have a lot of information in the scripture. I mean it seems like creation we kind of, well we, the earth was created and we have the story of how that happened. But what about before? You know, our human mind wants to go beyond what we know. What, do we have any information about what it was before the creation? Actually, we do. A little bit. Well, let's, first, let's turn first to, um, to John 1. And I'd like to establish who God was at creation. And we'll, we'll back up a little bit from there. John 1, verses 1 to 4. To four, and then we'll read verse 14. Verse 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now let's jump forward to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, as we read that, we understand that that was Jesus, the Word, made flesh among us. He was there at creation. There's some people that would deny that. Don't ever be swayed. Jesus was there at creation. Without him, nothing was made. It's clear. So, all that exists, Jesus was there. The full Godhead had part in the creation of everything. So, we'll look at this. Um, well, let's look at another verse. John 8, 58, uh, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. That doesn't make sense in the English language. It does. I don't know that it makes sense in the, in the Greek either. Before Abraham was, I am. There's two different tenses there. It gives us one 
thought, and that is eternal existence. I am. There's not no I was. There's no I will be. It's I am. Jesus was there. So we know that Godhead was complete at creation. In fact, in Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This gives us a pretty clear indication that it was more than just God the Father creating everything. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all there. It was a plural. But what about before? Does the Bible give us any clues about what it was like before that? Well, yes, the Bible does give us some clues. Let's read a few of God's own words as he spoke to Job. Let's turn to Job 38, verses 1 to 7. And if you want an interesting study, look at the 40-some questions that, that God asked Job. If you read all the Job up until that point in the discussion that these four men had had, it's incredibly deep. And then, then God comes along and asks Job those 40-odd questions. I don't know exactly how many it is. Depends on how you interpret them. And he goes way past anything that they... It's just we, they couldn't understand these things. But let's look at... Let's look at um, the first seven verses here of Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? So we have a little glimpse right there of what happened before the creation. We get a picture here in these few verses of the universe praising God for what he was creating as the earth's foundations were laid. Verse 7, first part of verse 7, get back here to it. It says, when the morning stars sang together. That has a picture of the stars worshiping God for what he was creating. And then it says also, the sons of men, the sons of God, shouted for joy as he was creating this. We would take that sons of God to be the angels, we hope. I mean, that's as in our simple understanding, so it would be. But we get a glimpse of what was going on as God was bringing into existence this solar system that we live in. It's almost like God had laid out a blueprint and he said, this is what I want to create. And the whole universe that did, that did exist at that time was in anticipation of what God was going to make. And as he started to create this blueprint, what he had planned, 
even the very stars were rejoicing. They were singing in his praises when this happened. Now, astronomers would say that, or I've heard this alluded to, that there's actually the stars are still singing. There is a, a song, a sound in the universe that can't really be explained other than coming from the stars. As you, if you try to grapple with the universe praising God, I'd like to delve into that just a little bit. What is going on? I don't know that I really can, can explain that. But remember, we're trying to comprehend who God is. And this universe that he had created, has created, is far beyond our ability to comprehend or understand. But God created it. So, who is this God and why is he interested in you and I? I'm not sure I can totally grasp that or explain it. But the psalmist says that the stars, the stars that were praising him, are the work of his fingers. And scientists today say that some stars are actually solid diamonds. Now, as we understand, a diamond is the hardest substance known to man. And these stars are actually just a big diamond. Now, we, can, we kind of are used to rocks. You know, God creates rocks that are all around us. But a diamond, it takes incredible heat and pressure to create a diamond. So, we, as you think about diamonds, it's carbon heated to over 2,000 degrees and compressed to pressures I don't even know how to describe. And that's what creates a diamond. God created those and popped them out into space. Now, how many, of, how many stars are there? Can you all answer that? Well, I'll shake our heads no. I want to give you an estimation. Now, obviously, I got this, my information off the Internet. So it's only as trustworthy as whatever you can um, believe that. But Because I have no place else to go. The Bible doesn't give us a number. But remember, we're trying to understand who God is. Well, if you go out at night, you can see, the human eye can see about 6,000 stars. But how many are in the universe? Astronomers have figured out that there are at least 2 trillion galaxies. I know that we can't grab that number, but we're going to start there. At least 2 trillion galaxies. And that's a 2 with 12 zeros behind it. And if we take the galaxy we are part of, the Milky Way, and figure out how many stars are in it, and they say about 100 billion stars in our galaxy. So if, if every galaxy has about 100 billion stars, you multiply those numbers, times that number times the number of galaxies, and we come up with an estimated 200 sextillion stars. I know that doesn't make any sense. It's too big of a number. That's a 2 with 23 zeros behind it. I want to give you something you might can start to grasp. That is equal to 10 times the cups of water in all the oceans of the world. Now, if you would really want to break that down, a cup of water is 8 ounces, 
So it's more than the ounces of water in all the oceans of the world. It's how many stars are in the heavens. We just, it just went way past anything we can understand. That's the God you serve. That's what I want us to understand this morning. As a child of God, you are serving the creator of that. We cannot truly grasp who God is. My heart's desire this morning is that we feel a little bit in our hearts of who we serve. I almost feel like it's impossible for me to get there. As I studied this, I feel like I just can't grasp the God I say I serve. All we can really do is accept that who he says he is, he is. And that his word is truth. And we take it for what it means. And he does what he says he does. If he can create that many stars, I think he can, we, can take, we can trust him. So God asked Job if he was there when the morning stars sing. And it seems like they were singing because he had laid the foundations of the earth. Now this word foundation, um, the Hebrew word that it was taken from, is also the word used for socket, for a socket. And a socket as in something that, um, something that, say a light bulb is, is fit into a socket. It's something that is, that is it's rooted in. They also use the same word for the sockets that they would put the, the rod through when they would carry the ark. Or the, the, when they built the tabernacle, what they put the rods that held the tabernacle into these sockets. The foundations of the earth are described as, this, as a socket. Now scientists say that the earth's crust is about two miles thick under most of the oceans. I guess that's just the upper hard part. But it's about seven miles thick underneath the continents. Now, once again, this is something I got off the internet. I'm, not, I'm only so smart. If so, there truly are sockets, foundations, that the continents are fastened into, if you want to say it that way. And Job couldn't understand that. That's far beyond him. But what incredible wisdom God had as he created and put together the cosmos, the stars, the earth, and as he created the earth for us to live in, it's the only inhabitable place that our finite scientists and astrologers, astronomers rather, have figured out there is. It's amazing how over and over science and astronomers prove scriptures to be right. They were written far beyond before any of this stuff was, was really known. God, before creation, was an incredible architect, designer, and creator. His wisdom was so great that even those hunks of burning rock, these diamonds, if you want to call them that, we call stars, were and still are singing his praises. He was and is far beyond what any mind can comprehend. But we'd like to try.
So now, I'd like to go beyond, go from before creation, who was God before creation, to who was God in the Old Testament. Now last Sunday, Brother Sheldon took us to Mount Sinai. And God's meeting with the children of Israel there. In that encounter, we got a glimpse of what it was like for people to come into the presence of God. So let's turn briefly to Deuteronomy 5, verses 23 to 27. Deuteronomy 5, 23 to 27. This is Moses speaking to the people about what had happened there. And it came to pass, verse 23, And it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that ye came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say, and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee, and we will hear it and do it. Why were the people afraid? They got the privilege of coming into the very presence of a holy God. Why were they afraid? God's presence was terrifying. I watched a documentary one time of a, of a couple that did some really deep um, investigation work and seems like they figured out the Mount Sinai that is described here was actually in Turkey and basically nobody knows about it. And they, but they, through a lot of study and, and research, they found what they feel like was the Mount Sinai. Now, I don't know if it was for sure. But that mountain, the picture of that mountain, I mean, it was a, it was a live video footage of them there. And it was a mountain. Halfway down was black. Now, you can see the rocks and stuff. But it went from a line halfway down, just black to regular brown rock. It looked like, to a certain level, that mountain had burned, just flat cooked. Now, I don't know for sure if that was Mount Sinai or not. But that's the vision I get when I think of this mountain and what was going on. The top of that mountain was burning. The rocks, the dirt, it was burning. It wasn't a forest up there burning. It was God burning the mountain, God's presence. God's presence was so intense that they feared to, fear, to even hear his voice. They thought his voice was going to consume them, kill them. Now, how many of you know what it feels like to actually fear for your life? In all reality, fear for your life. I know, as a younger person, heights did not bother me. I mean, I could pretty much do what I wanted up and down silos. Any, I mean, it just didn't bother me. As I get older, heights bother me more and more. Do you know the feeling of walking up to the edge of a cliff 
and you look over the edge and realize it's a long ways down and your knees just kind of go weak and you feel like literally your your stomach just goes to jelly. You fear, okay? Raw fear of what might happen with one mistake. Now, it doesn't, it's not just fear of heights, but it can be other things. As a young boy, I had almost that amount of fear for a Holstein bull in our pasture. I was afraid if I entered that pasture and he got too close, I was going to be jelly. Fear. That's what these people were feeling at the presence of an almighty God. We don't get that today. But I wish we could. I wish we could at least understand. When you walk up to the edge of that cliff and your knees go weak and your heart just kind of stops, do we grasp what these people were going through? They said, don't don't let us get close to that again. You go talk to God and you come talk to us. We'll listen. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But those people were understood what fear was because they came into the presence of a holy God. The terror of the Almighty God had seized them. They were literally afraid that the fire on that mountain was going to flash out and consume them. And that his voice was going to overpower them and take and kill them. So we understand what they were going through there on the mountain. Let's look at another example in the Old Testament of who God was. Let's turn to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, verses 17 to 24. Familiar account. Uh, Elijah and the, and, the, and the competition, if you want to call it, on top of Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18, verses 17 to 24. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore... Send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them, therefore, give two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now, we, what followed then was, was these prophets cut up their, they made their altar and cut up their bullock and put it on the altar and started wailing and prophesying. And, well, we know what the story went on. They finally started cutting themselves so they were all bloody. And then they started dancing on their altar and screaming and yelling and just acting like complete fools. And we know what happened. God, Balaam couldn't answer. I think had God allowed him to, Satan could have allowed, could have answered there, but there was no way. God was God. There was no answer from Balaam. 
So let's jump down to verse 36. Let's see what happens. And it came to pass at the time of the evening, of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook, brook Kishon, and slew them there. We'll stop, stop there. Can you imagine the absolute terror of what happened at that moment? Elijah had soaked that sacrifice three times with water. And then it seems as if he backed away and just let it soak. And then he said at the time of the evening sacrifice, he stepped up and he said, God, show him who's boss, essentially, in my words. And we don't know if it was lightning or simply a flame. We don't know what happened there. But if you can think of 12 stones, and I, they're not, I'm sure they weren't little stones. I'm sure they were big stones that they would set. He took 12 stones and made an altar, put wood on it, and put an entire cow, heifer, bullock, bullock I guess it's called, but you know, I'm guessing at least a 600-pound cow. On, cut it up and put it on top of this thing. With all that water, and in a moment, it was gone. There was nothing left but the dirt. And I had to wonder, why didn't God burn the dirt too? But he didn't. He, just, he burnt the altar, the water, the bullock, gone. Now think about this. What's the hardest thing you know of in life? It's rocks, pretty much. I mean, steel's harder, but this is the most stable thing these people had in their lives. Rocks. And it was vaporized. If water and rocks could be instantly burned up, what else might happen? What if that pile of rocks was right here and you were right there and it was gone? What, how would you think? How would we feel about the God we serve? I believe I would have been gripped with absolute terror. What kept that fire there? Why didn't God, that fire go right out and consume the people? They knew it could have. It was such an incredible sight that when Elijah commanded that all the prophets of Baal be captured, nobody even hesitated. They just did it. Those 450 prophets didn't stand a chance. And judgment was quick. They took them down to the... To the Brook and killed them all. Let's turn to Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. You can keep your finger where you're at. I guess we'll be back there in a little bit. But let's go to Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. 
Let's see what Isaiah says when he comes into the presence of an almighty God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. When Isaiah came into the presence of an almighty God, he was changed. He realized his undoneness, his uncleanness before God. And the uncleanness of the people around him. Oh, that our hearts would tremble as we understand who God is like theirs did. Now let's turn back to 1 Kings 19. I'm going to read verses 1 to 18. This is the account of what Elijah, the mighty prophet of God, that had just been on the top of Mount Carmel and had experienced God's presence there in the fire that fell. And we can be jealous of that, of experiencing God's presence. But I caution us. Let's read this account. 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 18. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went into the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. 
And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the, to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholoth, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So Elijah learned a valuable lesson that day that I want us to understand, to learn this morning, that I, I hope I can learn. Those tremendous, the, the fire, the earthquake, the wind, that wasn't where God was. He didn't understand what God wanted him to do until that still small voice came. When God speaks to us, it's most likely going to be in a still small voice. We can be jealous of the people who got to see the manifest presence of God. And yes, I still would. There's something about that that still is attractive. Like, wow, what would it be like to experience that presence? But did it do to those people What, how does that, did it have the effect on them that it seems like it would have? It seldom did. It created fear. But, and they would say, we're going to change, but the Israelites went right back into sin. It changed them, but didn't always bring them closer to God. Elijah, after he experienced that presence, after he saw what, after he saw what God would do, God's judgment, after he saw God's judgment fall, he ended up depressed and discouraged until he heard that still small voice. I think to have a proper perspective of God, we need to have a proper understanding of both God's power, we've talked about this morning, and the blessing of his still small voice. I fear that today we have become so accustomed to the still small voice because that's how we live. We live by the leading of the Holy Spirit. That still small voice within us guiding and directing us. That we've forgotten or maybe never really realized who God really is. There's a lot more examples of God's power that we could turn to and look at. But after a while it becomes almost mind-numbing. To try to grasp the awesomeness of the God we serve. Let's remember that the God who created the universe, who formed the foundations of the continents, whose presence struck terror in the hearts of his people, loves you and I enough to speak to us in a still small voice. 
May there be nothing so precious to us as that still small voice. And may we listen to it and to the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading in our lives as willingly as those people listened when the fire fell. Let's have a song.